Support for the Fallon Forum is provided by The Fighting Burrito, located at 117 Welch Avenue in Ames, Iowa. The Fighting Burrito offers a varied menu with vegetarian options as well as the option to build your own burrito. More information can be found at www.fightingburrito.com. That's www.fightingburrito.com. Support provided by Gateway Market. Gateway Market offers a unique selection of local, organic, and eco-friendly items. Get more information at gatewaymarket.com. Underwriting provided by Hawk Restaurant, located at East 5th and Walnut. Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. More information can be found at hawktable.com. That's hoqtable.com. Hey folks, welcome to the Fallon Format. Fallon hosting with you today here on Lorena 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. Uh, in the studio with me, Jess Mazur. We're going to discuss a bunch of stuff happening in the Iowa legislature. And a lot of these bills are bills similar to things happening in other state houses because we really know who controls the legislatures around the country. It's a group called ALEC. Uh, we'll be uh, we'll be talking about some other legislative stuff again. A lot of the stuff happening in Iowa is relevant to conversations anywhere in the country. Um, energy efficiency under attack, um, corporate uh, agriculture expanding its reach, water quality uh, a huge problem. We'll talk about all of that. We'll also talk about an anti-protest bill before the Iowa House and Senate, which also has companions in Ohio and Wyoming and probably other states that I'm not even aware of. And later in the program, we'll talk about the federal tax bill with uh, Charles Goldman and also um, take a look at some of the continued corporate response to the debate on gun violence. But first, I want to welcome Jess Mazur to the studio. Hello, Jess. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show today. You uh, escaped from your day job at Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement, I see. I did for a little bit, but... A couple it's... hours of furlough for you? <laughs> That's right. All right. Uh, I don't know. You're, you probably spend as much time at the state capitol these days as you do at the, uh, at the uh, CCI office. Um, actually, this year it's been a lot more out and about in the rural communities, um, fighting factory farms, than up at the state house. But that doesn't mean they are not still attacking family farmers in our water. They are. And let's uh, and this, uh, on so many fronts, but... Um, the one I know we wanted to start with was the uh, what's called the quote conventional egg bill, and um, you know it's it's interesting to me that the the party that claims to want to let small businesses you know do their thing without a lot of government meddling is now coming in and telling grocery stores that they have to carry an egg produced in a factory farm. Right. That to me is incredible. Right. It's it's an absolutely awful bill. Um, one of the lobby groups that seems to be behind it is called uh, Consumers for Choice, which is kind of ironic because this is the opposite of choice. Um, what they want to do is no, say they're, that they're, yeah, they're <laughs> the opposite. They're saying you have to sell these kind of eggs, and they're putting into law what um, – what kind of eggs people can feed their families, which I don't think is right, because we know that eggs produced in factory farms are not as healthy. They have um, extreme impacts on our water and our air and our quality of life, so they aren't cheaper. Um, we know that specialty eggs, by their definition, are um, less impactful on the environment, and they're healthier for our bodies. Yeah. So uh, I, I, it was hard not to notice that 
most of the Iowa House voted for the bill, including Democrats. You, you would, yeah. I mean, first of all, you would think the Republicans would not like the idea of telling a business they've got to carry a certain product. But you would also think that more Democrats would think, well, hey, why are we, why are we, why are we, ba why are we basically um, becoming a conduit for industrial egg production? Right. Uh, at a time when more and more concerns, I mean, there, there, are, there are a lot of chain businesses now that don't carry eggs raised uh, in industrial environments anymore. And, right. and, and we've had that. How long? It's not been that long since we had the, uh, the horrible uh, salmonella outbreak. Right. Thanks to uh, places like. A.J. DeCoster's Egg Factory Farm in northern Iowa. Right, and we're hearing from people who live out in rural Iowa that's, that that same situation at DeCoster facilities is happening statewide. Look at look at the bird flu. Like, these are breeding grounds for disasters. Yeah, I, and not just statewide, but nationwide. Nationwide, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Although I think the worst salmonella outbreak in an egg facility was here in Iowa. I think so, too, yeah, with the DeCoster. So folks around the country have us to thank for that. Yes. Anyway. Enjoy your uh, conventional yeah. eggs. But again, I, I mean, <laughs> I, the Democrats, even some self-described progressive Democrats voting for this bill. Yeah, the vote Amazing was 81-17. 81-17. Yes, so so a do, lot of Democrats How, how do, uh, again, I understand, I understand, okay, for Republicans, it's just, it's just blatant hypocrisy. Uh, right. <laughs> I get that. You know, right. no, you, don't need, you don't need to tell me anymore. But for, for some of these uh, Democrats that, that, again, profess to be Progressive. How how do they justify voting for this bill? So one of the things that I heard from actually Representative Akeo, um Abdul Samad, he said that he <coughs> is worried that as businesses like Hy-Vee are, are transitioning to cage-free eggs, that their constituents will no longer be able to afford eggs. Um, and I think just in general, we need to think about what's good public policy, what benefits the most amount of people in our state. And uh, forcing grocery stores and telling families what kind of eggs to buy isn't good public policy. What we should be doing is if we have a problem with the price of eggs, we need to, one, pay people a living wage. We need to subsidize family farming, people who are growing healthy eggs. And we need to remove requirements that tell that keep propping up the factory farm industry, like yeah. this bill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's subsidies as well, of course. Right. Not, not, just let it, not just friendly legislation, but outright subsidies that make it possible to, uh, to you know, to, um, to, to, to raise food in a way that really is not at all sustainable right. and not at all that cost-effective either. Right. Uh, folks, if you'd like to join the conversation, Jess Mazur in the studio with me. We're discussing the conventional egg bill, as it's being referred to by some. I call it the force-fed factory farm egg bill. You are so cool. And I, I love the alliteration. Force, right. Force-fed force factory farm, farm bill. Yes. That's great, Jess. <laughs> did you come up with that yourself? I did. You did well. Actually, I know if I heard it on Facebook or if I came up with it. But okay. either way, it kind of it, it says well, what it is. It, they're force-feeding us factory farm eggs. Right. They're, they're forcing stores. And actually, they're, they're, I believe it's only stores, grocery stores that serve WIC customers. Correct. That's women, infant, and children. It's a very mm -hmm. good a very good program that supplies food to uh, money for food, or vouchers, actually, I believe, for food for low-income people. Right. So, all right, let's go to our phone lines again. If you want to join the conversation, folks, it's 515-528-8122. That's 528-8122. We have uh, Kathy, I believe, on line one. Hello, Kathy. Hi. Hello. Hey, hi. Hey, uh, I was very curious. As a former Grateful WIC user, I called the WIC uh, re uh, one of the representatives today because I was curious why this bill is being promoted as something that provides a more economical choice 
to especially low-income people. And as I recall, and it, it actually I've confirmed it still is true today, that WIC doesn't give you, say, a credit card type of a thing to go buy something and then that amount comes out of your card. It specifies one dozen eggs. And so it's not a lower income uh, uh, conscientious move to make sure that a lower price egg is available for, for recipients of WIC. And also the other odd thing about the WIC program is that the, the representative told me it already specifies on the WIC program that they must buy uh, non-cage-free, non-free-range um, chickens that are eggs they're not allowed to buy anything that is has a special label like low cholesterol so in other words the WIC program functions right now in a way that this would make this bill a moot point right so okay that, that's it but but it all it interests me that the um, <coughs> that the WIC program uh, basically says look if you're poor and can't afford to buy your own eggs uh, if we're here to help you out, but you gotta you gotta settle for second second tier second tier eggs, right? Well, <laughs> yeah. I, you have to have the lesser quality eggs. Yeah, right. yeah. I spoke with um, some WIC representatives just to get some information about this bill as well, and they said that the reason that they have this requirement on eggs is just because their budget has been so so severely cut, which is what we're seeing with a lot of state agencies and other programs meant to benefit people. So we need to think about why are we not fully funding programs like this that are benefiting people so they can make choices for their families um, on their own rather than being forced to this. I also noticed when I called yeah. the um, WIC department that they they have restrictions on eggs, but they do reimburse for organic produce. So if this bill was truly about um, what they say it's about, helping out families, then they should also say that all stores are required to sell organic produce. Interesting. Exactly. It's Interesting. a lot of double talk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, Kathy, thanks so much for the phone call. You're welcome. All right. Later in the program, we'll switch gears and talk about the uh, federal tax bill with uh, Charles Goldman joining us later in the show. Um, but before we move on to talking about the legislature's efforts to, well, basically to eliminate any incentive to promote renewable fuels. Okay. So in the studio with me, Jess Mazur, as we discuss. Uh, Various legislation happening at the State House, and in particular right now, I want to switch gears. We've been talking about the conventional egg bill, and later in the program, we're going to talk about a bill that's been referred to as the sabotage bill or the critical infrastructure bill, but I think Jess has a better name for it. Yes, so we came up with one over the break, the Penalize Protesters to Protect Private Pipelines Bill. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> only a little, only a little alliteration of that. Say that one. five times fast. I'm not going to say it at all. We're gonna, I'm going to defer to you on that. You can introduce right. it when we talk about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you want to join the conversation, folks, five one five five two eight. Uh, 8122, 515-528-8122, and you're welcome to weigh in on any of these uh, any of these pieces of legislation. So um, the energy efficiency bill, as it's called, has been getting a, a lot of pushback from a lot of people in a lot of sectors. And um, it's it, not only is it going to take a huge bite out of uh, efforts to promote conservation, but it's going to make it really difficult for um, for people who want to do solar on their own properties to um, to do so. Uh, and there's a lot of detail on that. I believe uh, Heather Pearson with the Iowa chapter of the Sierra Club is on the phone. So I'm going to uh, quickly run to that phone call and welcome Heather to the show. Hello, Heather. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Good. Now, you're, you're with one of the organizations that have been tracking this bill, I believe. 
Yes, I'm actually with the um, National Sierra Club Beyond uh. Coal Campaign, and we are working closely with the Iowa chapter on this bill. We like to call it the Utility Billionaires Wish List Bill, because this bill was basically written by Alliant and Mid-American. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's a good name. It's not as clever as the one names that Jess is coming up with for various <laughs> legislations. You, can, you need some alliteration in there, Heather. <laughs> well, what can I say? Jeff is the organizer in Iowa. So, uh, so well, yeah, what a, what a, I mean, a great job. I mean, I, I kind of characterize this bill as, uh, as uh, punishing people who are trying to get into solar energy and also making it harder, you know, lowering the standard by which uh, we expect the utility companies to help promote conservation. Exactly. Basically what's going on here are these companies – they want to sell as much energy as possible because they're making a profit off of that. Last year, MidAmerican made $500 billion, or excuse me, $500 million in profit. So if we are installing rooftop solar on our homes, we're using less energy from MidAmerican or Alliance, and they're making less money. But when we talk about things like climate justice, we need to look beyond profit and think of what is right, what is the right thing to do for, you know, a human rights issues like climate justice. Well, so and, and, this bill would not only take away those rebates for um, solar projects, they would also make it to where people who have rooftop solar would get charged more than people without it. And it's also talking about taking away those rebates that we all use when we um, do take energy efficiency steps for our homes, like right. installing yeah. new windows and, right. and insulation and things like that. <laughs> so we have found that energy efficiency programs actually save us all money in the long run. <laughs> right. So, so and the utility companies. away to these utilities. Okay. So, yeah, I can see why they would be opposed to it because um, – they are monopolies. Right. <laughs> They're mm -hmm. regulated monopolies. I, I would say poorly regulated. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got a structure that puts in place a board of three that tends to be a rubber stamp for most of what the utility companies want. So um, we, you know, you're, you're up at the State House on a daily basis, uh, Jess. Um, what, what, what's your tracking on this? Where is this bill out in the process? Um, to be honest, when we're, I have a coworker that's been lobbying on this bill a lot more than I have. I focus on our factory farm bills. Um, but from what I understand, this bill is moving in both chambers because they, they want to make sure they can limit people and their, uh, their right to protest things that are going to impact our lives. Like, it's clear that we need to transition to sustainable energy. It's clear that we have to do that. And yeah. they are trying to put hurdles in place. Um, but Heather might actually have more information on, like, the actual where the bill is at at this session. It could be that the bill, the bill is voted on in the Senate this week. So we are pressuring um, senators to vote no on this bill, which is Senate File 2311. So I urge everybody listening, please take a moment right now to call your senator and ask them to vote no on SF2311 because you don't think that energy efficiency programs that save us all money should be cut. So uh, you mentioned climate justice, Heather. So tell me a little bit more about your, what, what do you mean by that? Well, as Jess said before, we're at a time where we're in a climate crisis, and we need to diversify the types of energy that we use. And 
if somebody puts solar panels on their roof and that reduces how much energy that they use, I believe that they should have incentives to do so due to the climate issue alone, not taking away those incentives or even penalizing them for doing so. And another thing to think about this, you know, a lot of Republicans like to talk about jobs, jobs, jobs. Solar jobs are the fastest growing sector of the economy and are present all over the state. And this bill threatens every solar job in this state. How many jobs do we have in solar presently? Do you know? um, I know that this bill could lead to massive increases in costs and that um, the solar industry has created over 700 jobs in Iowa. Right. Well, yeah. Well, and that's just in recent times. So, you know, we start cutting, um, making it tougher for people to <laughs> take that step. And now, honestly, it has other repercussions. Now, honestly, in the past, uh, they, you know, carrying water for the big utility companies has been a bipartisan problem. Uh, we've seen, you know, when Democrats controlled the Senate, they were pretty generous about trying to help Mid-American out uh, at, the, at the expense of uh, the public interest and the environment. And so, uh, you know, this is now we have a Republican-led legislature in the House and Iowa House and Senate, as we do in much of the country. Uh, is, is there any opposition of any substance among the uh, Democratic minority uh, now that they don't have any power? Are they, are they maybe uh, inspired to be a little bit more aggressive in how they feel about the issue? Um, that's the hope. <laughs> that's what I'm hearing from our lobbyists that, that's going into the uh, Capitol and speaking on our behalf for this is that uh, it doesn't have uh, Democratic support. And even um, the Republicans are squirming. Is, is the last little bit of now why, I've why now why would they um, be squirming what, what would what 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 does it take to make well, a republican squirm <laughs> well again and I, I had the number wrong actually i looked it up here there are over 20,000 direct jobs in the energy efficiency sector in iowa that could be at risk if these programs are scaled back that's 20,000 direct jobs hmm. that includes and, wind and conservation and perhaps uh, geothermal i, w- I imagine uh, yeah, no. all of the uh, okay. energy efficiency <laughs> jobs there rolled into one. So, yeah, um, so that's that's the point that I want to talk to when it comes to Republicans, because, you know, if we talk about climate, even though that's the most important issue in my mind, it's not always the most impor- important issue in their mind. So we need to focus on the fact that this bill would get a, do away with those energy efficiency programs that save all of us money because every dollar that we spend on energy efficiency, we actually get that back double in savings. Right. Right. That just so, reminds me, like, <clears throat> I have a home garden, and I was thinking about how do I want to – what is what do I want my urban farm to look like in a few years? Like eventually, I want solar. And bills like this make it hard for someone with low income to become more sustainable. And that's that's not the direction we want our state to move in. We need to make um, sustainability easier and more affordable for people, especially because those are the people who are going to benefit the most from it, the ones that cannot afford to pay these high costs and rising costs of, of fossil fuel. And, and am I, one more question, Heather, before we run to a break. Am I right, too, that this, uh, this type of legislation is pretty common this year across the country in state legislatures everywhere? Um, that's what I've been hearing. And again, it's just because basically these corporations are getting the 
getting our um, representatives' ears before the people, and that's, you know, a problem that's been going on for a long time, and well, to me, that's the problem that we need to It's e- easy to get a politician's ears once you've got, uh, once you've opened your pocketbook and they've stuck the hand in there and you've basically got them trapped. <laughs> that's, Absolutely. Uh, back to the, the issue of campaign finance reform, I mean, all these, uh, all these legislation, all these proposed bills or bills that are you know, on the fast track even, are examples of why we need to get money out of politics, you know, at least to an That's extent right. where it's manageable. Right. Um, anyway. All right. Hey, thanks, uh, Heather, for joining us on the conversation. Uh, Heather Pearson with the uh, National uh, Sierra Club uh, talking about energy efficiency and efforts to make it tougher for people to do the right thing. Support for the Fallon Forum is provided by The Fighting Burrito, located at 117 Welch Avenue in Ames, Iowa. The Fighting Burrito offers a varied menu with vegetarian options as well as the option to build your own burrito. More information can be found at www.fightingburrito.com. That's www.fightingburrito.com. Support provided by Gateway Market. Gateway Market offers a unique selection of local, organic, and eco-friendly items. Get more information at gatewaymarket.com. Underwriting provided by Hawk Restaurant, located at East 5th and Walnut. Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. More information can be found at hawktable.com. That's hoqtable.com. I remember you. You're the one who said I love you too. Back to the Fallon Forum. Okay, so I've uh, got a couple things I want to talk with about uh, talk uh, talk about this next segment. Um, I want to talk about hogs. I also want to talk about the um, the uh, protest bill again. What you're calling the the it is the penalized protesters to protect private pipelines bill. Yeah, this is a bill that's uh, that's um, it's being offered as a way to deal with terrorism or extreme incidences of vandalism against the pipeline. But what it does is legitimize the Dakota Access pipeline. Again, remember this pipeline is merely transporting oil through our state. It, it the bill what it does is it calls that pipeline critical infrastructure. It puts it in the same class as electrical lines, as gas lines, as water lines. It basically, you know, I mean, think about it. If the power's out for an hour, everybody's on that. If they stop flowing oil through the Dakota Access Pipeline for months, you wouldn't notice. I mean, we we notice when uh, there's going to be a spill. (laughs) But so they're trying to legitimize it I think to um, to affect the uh, Supreme Court case and to affect future incidences where eminent domain can be justified to be given to a company that has no genuine, um, you know, capacity to provide public service. The other thing is they're trying to make it uh, very punitive to protest. Right. And that's why labor unions have jumped on board because they see this as a very punishing bill. Right. It's about time. I'm actually really happy to see that labor unions are against this bill. They should have been against the pipeline from the get-go, um, but. I'm glad to see that they're joining on now. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, that's yeah, it's it's, a, it's an important coalition, and it, it's a, it's good to see that happening. But um, anyway, so that's that's the bill. We have uh, let's go to our phone lines again five one five five two eight eighty one twenty two. If you'd like to join the conversation, I think we got Jeffrey on line one. Hello, Jeffrey. Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm a, a local Quaker and a water protector, and I've been uh-huh. on the streets a lot related to the Dakota Access Pipeline, and uh, this bill really is uh, kind of scary. It makes you uh, have second thoughts about doing that. Um, right, because 25 years or $100,000 fine, that's pretty steep. Right. Yeah. 
And as you mentioned, other states have uh, tried to propose similar bills. There's a actually an interactive map on the ACLU website, aclu.org, where they show that approximately 20 states had some form of a protest bill uh, in 2017 being considered in state legislatures. That many? Wow. Uh, I I know of Ohio, Wyoming, but I did not know there. I'm not surprised, but I did not know there were that many. Right. It's really scary because as we've seen throughout history, that when we have, um, you know, major problems in our society, whether it's civil rights um, or racism or uh, pipelines like this, protesting and joining together to form a movement and putting pressure on um, people who are doing bad things has traditionally been a way that we can make systematic change. I think they've recognized that, and they don't want us to stand up for what we believe in anymore. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, I, the truth is the 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 movements that have resisted the Keystone Pipeline, the Dakota Access Pipeline, the Mar- East Mariner, the line, oh, I mean, there's so many pipelines, it's hard to rattle them all off. But uh-huh. they've been very effective at slowing down construction and and to, um, you, know, in, you know, increasing the accountability. Right of the uh, corporations that are pushing these pipelines. And, I mean, like you said, they, they, they don't want that. They want to be able to soar this stuff through without any, any right. public uh, in, you know, opposition at all. And so, yeah. And movements like what happened to um, fight the Dakota Access Pipeline are so important in this time right now. We wouldn't be having this conversation right now if it weren't for people standing up and using nonviolent protest um, to make this an issue that everyone's talking about. And I think yeah. it's important that we keep allowing people to do that. Any other thoughts on it, Jeffrey? Uh, Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head about how you could be, um, this uh, could be used against you just for interfering with service because really that's basically what the point of the protest is, to try to slow things down until Mm -hmm. the courts can consider some of these things that the fossil fuel industry is trying to push through a lot of times illegally. Yeah. Right. And, you know, where does it go from here? Does that mean, you know, not only just um, direct actions against the pipeline, but if someone strikes or if someone um, goes to the IUB office and does a protest, who is it going to carry over to that? Where does it stop? Yeah, because the legislation talks about impairing or interrupting service. And, you know, they, they could easily argue that, hey, we were supposed to start flowing oil in the fall of uh, 2016. We didn't start till June of 2017. So, yeah, clearly our... Our um, efforts were interrupted, and those people, even you know, nonviolently protesting, mm-hmm. are responsible. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Jeffrey, uh, thanks for uh, sharing your insight. I appreciate the phone call. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, uh, Jess, uh, the hog confinement bill. There's been well for two and a half decades now. Ever since 1995, I'd say at least since 1997, uh, there have been calls for a moratorium on hog confinements uh, because of concerns about water quality, about manure, about odor, about property values. Uh, there's a long list of reasons why people in living in rural Iowa uh, are concerned about uh, these large industrial-scale factories. Right, yeah. Iowa has over 10,000 factory farms. <clears throat> they produce over $22 billion, billion with a B, gallons of toxic, untreated liquid manure every year that's spread on our land. And because we know that conservation practices are voluntary, um, we know that this manure is running off into our water. Um, 
And so we're seeing a lot of bills at the state house to address this because I think it's pretty clear in Iowa that we've reached a tipping point. Um, over 20% of the counties in the state have written a letter or passed a resolution of some sort saying they want a moratorium or local control or changes and strengthening of the master matrix, which is the permitting process. So what we're seeing at the Capitol, though, is the opposite of what Iowans want. Really? That's never happened before. I know. I would, you'd never yeah. think that. Republicans yeah. represent people. Right. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, and, and even honestly, even when Democrats controlled the legislature for four years. That's right. They did nothing on local control. They did nothing on capos on hog confinements generally. Yeah, Democrats campaign on this issue. They know it's a winning issue in rural Iowa, and then they don't do anything about it at the state house. However, there are um, there is a handful of legislators that are really starting to take this issue on. So we can't. Say are they all Democrats? Um, no, they are not all Democrats. Um, some of the standout people that are really sticking their necks out on this issue is um, Independent Senator David Johnson out of Achiden, which is up northwest Iowa. Um, Representative Sharon Steck out of Mason City. But she's a Democrat. She's a Democrat. Right. Yep. Are, there, are there other Republicans that are on board as well? No. No. No, there are no Republicans, one independent, and then uh, maybe a dozen or so uh, Democrats that have yeah. signed on as co-sponsors yeah. of a moratorium bill. But that bill is dead. It did not pass the funnel, even though Iowans clearly want it. Um, so one of our things that we're going to be doing is on Wednesday, we have a group of about 15 rural Iowans directly impacted by factory farms who will be going up to the Capitol um, to try to get some of these legislators that are um, outspoken about a moratorium to introduce it as an amendment so we mm. can kind of force a vote. We know that um, with we cannot win on this issue without starting to take over the state house, without electing people who are with us on this issue. So we want to force a vote and then take that back to these rural communities and say, you know what, um, your senator or your representative did not vote for a moratorium. Is that really the direction right. you want your county to move in? Yeah, and I, you know, I, not to be cynical, but uh, that that was a similar strategy back in the early two thousands, mm-hmm. and that allowed that helped Democrats gain control of the House and Senate. And then they did nothing, and then they lost it, you know, four years later. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, I, you know, it just seems like it's going to take more than just a partisan change to have uh, real progress on this. Right. And I think it's, it, it, it's happening. We have uh, more Iowans than ever across the state fighting back on this issue. Um, we are shifting the narrative on this issue. Once we can get hearts and minds on board with the way we're thinking about the factory farm industry, change is, is more possible. And then I, I think the other thing is that, I mean, it's clear that I was going through a political revolution. There are a growing number of people that are saying, no Republicans, no Democrats. It's time for people's issues. It's time for— That's a national phenomenon. Right. It's happening all across the country. And I think Democrats better watch out, like and Republicans, that um, if you're not with us on the issues that people need the most— then you're against us and time for you to go. So I think that that is what's exciting is that people are stepping up and saying, you know what? My representative's not doing the right thing, and no one else is running, so it's time for me to run. Here's a plaque and a pen and a nice refrigerator <laughs> magnet. Time for you to go. Right. Like, Thanks look for at, your service. <laughs> right, uh, right, representative right. Dave Dio is being challenged by um, a progressive uh, movement builder, Brenda Brink. And we have some uh, local county supervisor races. We have um, gubernatorial candidates that are in favor of a moratorium. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we need to hold them to it after they're elected. Um, but it's 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 all about getting the right people in office and also building the power to hold them accountable after. Yeah. Well, hey, Jess, thanks for joining us. Uh, we've been talking with Jess Mazur. She's with Iowa Citizen Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement and uh, is basically living at the state capitol these days. Right. I actually have one last thing I want to say, too, is on this uh, 
pipeline sabotage bill and on the egg bill, where they want to force grocery stores to sell factory farm eggs, call the Senate. Today, the egg bill will be debated, and then sometime this week, the pipeline sabotage bill will be debated. Um, You can call your senator at 515-281-3371. Just give them your zip code and your address, and they'll transfer you to your senator. All right. Thanks for joining us, Jess. Thank Uh, you. Again, if you'd like to join the conversation, it's 515-528-8122. That's 528-8122. And be sure to follow us on uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter, which I try to avoid like the plague, but, again, it's out there. Uh, And, again, um, you can always subscribe to the email we send out once a week at the uh, Fallon Forum website. I want to welcome uh, Dr. Charles Goldman to the show. Are you with us, Charles? It's going all right. So uh, federal, I mean, we've been discussing state legislative stuff. Uh, The U.S. Congress is creating its own realm of entertainment for us these days um, with the the tax bill being kind of front and center in terms of um, stuff worth knowing about. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, everyone's making the assumption that because of history, because everyone despises Trump so much that the Democrats are going to have this great wave. But, you know, there's only one issue that the Republicans nationally are going to run on, and it's going to be the tax bill, because it's the only thing they've done. Um, (laughs) And they're certainly not going to run on their environmental record. Uh, They're not going to run on their complicity complicity with the corruption in the White House. So uh, I, I think this is another chance for the Democrats to once again show the political malpractice they oftentimes um, you know, ex- ex- exemplify. And how are they doing um, on that account? Well, I think they're doing terribly because their message is the correct one, which is that it it's a question of fairness. But having you know the boomers who run the party still at the in D.C. use the word crumbs as they did uh, in terms of referring to the minuscule tax breaks and bonuses that some workers were given, um, again, shows just how disconnected they are. Um, The message should be that the question question that should be asked is a populist message, and we all know how well populist messages work, which is why Trump is president and why Sanders was so popular, which is, first of all, this bill was set up exactly, as always, the Republicans always flank outflying the Democrats. So what did they put in the bill? They put in the bill that if companies gave these bonuses in the, ca- in the calendar year 2017, that they would be able to deduct these bonuses. Um, uh, on their taxes, so, yeah. On their taxes. Right. What a surprise then that a number of companies, you know, announced these bonuses. And let's, let's look at how the lamestream media, you know, dealt with the Walmart. <laughs> Did you call it lame, lamestream media? Lame, yeah, I hate to say it. I know it's just like <laughs> a Fox says. But, yeah, in, in this case it is for the most part, except for a couple of uh, newspapers, in particular the Times, because of Paul Krugman sees through it. Uh, so Walmart announces that they can give $1,000 per worker, or at least that's what everyone was told, right? Right. The fact of the matter was, only if you worked 20 years at Walmart would you get $1,000. <laughs> if you worked anything less, you got 250 um, By the way, the average tenure of a Walmart worker is three years. Okay, so first of all, it wasn't $1,000. Second of all, they announced that they, uh, you know, and this was good, they announced that um, they were going to raise the 
minimum wage that they would pay to their workers. Now, they claimed that it was because of the tax bill. Uh, in point of fact, they're having trouble hiring workers, and they're beginning to come around to the Costco idea, which is retraining a worker every two years is more costly than just paying your workers better and having them satisfied. And so they, they in fact, raised the wage, although they said it was because of the tax bill, because, of course, these corporations want to make the tax bill look good in the, in the eyes of the working public. Um, it was it was a response to the fact that 20 states have have uh, increased the uh, minimum wage. Of course, Iowa not being one of them. Right. Um, and um, they were simply reacting to the pressure of when you only have four percent unemployment, you need to pay your workers more to get somebody to work for you. Right. Uh, we'll also note that this bonus of the thousand dollars. You know, when the last time they did this, 2015 mm. during Obama's administration, did the Obama administration, you know, Trump at this? Of course not. Um, so the other thing, of course, to look at is how much money has gone into these bonuses and uh, increases uh, of the wage that, you know, the larger companies have announced. Uh, about $6 billion is the estimate. How much money has already uh, been uh, accumulated in announced stock buybacks? $170 billion. Who does the <laughs> stock buybacks right, right. benefit? Yeah. The people so, who are, you know, at the top of these companies. So you're, you're concerned about the Democrats in Congress. You mentioned crumbs. You think that's bad messaging? It's a bad message. The message should be get your fair share. And what the, what the Republicans will do is turn around like they always do and accuse the Democrats of engaging in class warfare. And my, my question is, so what's the problem? Yeah. You know, the time, the time has come for the worker to say, when do I get the advantages of this profitability that these companies are exhibiting. Yeah. And so, it is a crumb. When I'm given 300 or $250 right. and so executives are given millions of dollars, that's a crumb. So what's wrong with calling a crumb a crumb? That's fine, but it, it, it was not – they did not put it in the context where what, what it came across, of course, the way Breitbart and the Daily Caller and all of them picked it up as, was that they were implying that $1,000 to a working class – uh, war, you know, to a working-class American is meaningless, and the Democrats think $1,000 isn't meaningful. Right. So that's how they, they spun that. And it, it, it was it, the language wasn't careful. You know, right. I, I understand, of course, you can exert, you know, one word out of a quote. Right. But, no, I think the time has come for the Democrats to embrace class warfare. In fact, the Democrats are concerned about, you know, upper-middle-class white women voting for the Republicans. Well, why don't you ask the upper-class white women who pays the most taxes in this country per capita? It's, it's the high, you know, high-earning wage slaves like physicians and other professionals who pay all, almost 50 percent of the tax revenues in this country. I'm not saying that these people are poor, but what I'm saying is why don't you appeal to those people to ask them that question? Why are you paying? 50% of tax revenues. Now, what the Republicans would say is because of poor people stealing your money. What the Democrats need to say is because people who are wealthy, people who are really rich, you aren't rich. You're just wage earners. People who are really rich, rich in this country have used you to look the wrong way. The problem in this country isn't the people who are at the bottom. The problem in this country is the people who are at the top. And that's what the message the Democrats should be making. Uh, you know. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, the Republicans are hoping that folks will see a little bit of a, a little bit of a benefit economically and think, well, yeah, they cut my taxes, I'm good to go, I'm going to vote Republican. But 
uh, how quickly before the debt and the deficit uh, <laughs> are impacted, before other social programs, before, before all the other things that people rely on get hit? I mean, that's probably not going to happen before the 2018 midterms, but... It may not, it may not, it will definitely won't happen before the 2018 midterms. It may not even happen before the 2020 presidential election. It's going to take time for these tax cuts to ramify. And, of course, it's ludicrous to claim that any increase in economic activity is tied to these tax cuts that just occurred two months ago. Right. Um, You know, but that's how the Republicans have played it. And, of course, the question is, they say, well, look, you're seeing more money in your in your paycheck. Well, of course you are. But they may take it back when you have to file your taxes next year. But after that, it's already after the 2018 election. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> now, um, yeah, so I, I don't I don't know how there, there've got to be some voices within the Democratic Party that are that are offering that preferred messaging. But I, I'm not uh, I'm not coming up with any particular names off the top of my head. No, neither can I, and that's what's sad, because in, in, until the party moves away from the center and understands that they, you know, in many ways you don't need huge amounts of money to run a campaign anymore. I mean, look, the Russians spent $13 million, and look what they got. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, but... <laughs> it's, a, it's an old model. It's a model based on buying TV time, hmm. you know? Um, I, I think if they would excuse some of the big money and turn around and be a party of the people, be populist in the true sense, then uh, they would win. Of course, they won't because they have a bunch of consultants who are all hidebound and duty-bound yeah, yeah. to stay in the center. They, yeah. they, they keep looking well, at and all and the, the thing, those, those, those consultants are, are making a ton of money. Yeah. Right. Hey, um, i got to wrap it up here, Charles. I want to uh, thank you for joining us. Um, yeah, yeah well, I'll, I'll see you next month a number of times. All right, uh, yeah, Char- yeah, Charles Goldman, folks. Uh, so March 24 is shaping up to be a big day. This is the day that students and others and allied organizations have chosen for the March for Our Lives in response to not just the most recent school shooting in Parkland, Florida, but to the... the uh, the heart-wrenching proliferation of gun massacres, not just in schools, but elsewhere across the country in in recent years. So March 24, a big date, and one that uh, people hope has some impact on advancing serious efforts toward addressing the issue of gun violence. And of course, we're we're seeing the predictable pushback. Um, The folks who want to blame anything but guns and I you know I understand it's not just guns and again for those who say that's all we need to do I disagree we have to do something about mental health care but again of course we've been we've been you know cutting back efforts to make sure that people have access when they have issues we also I mean there's some things that don't don't get a lot of conversation but should for example, the extent to which we become such a, such an isolated society, where in many cases people don't know their neighbors, uh, where you know, oftentimes you you don't have to even you know you know you could never leave your home and still be adequately fed and entertained and um, and even have a, a you know a, a weight machine purchased online and shipped to your door that uh, allows you to have an exercise program. You never even have to leave your home. We've created um, 
kind of an isolation by design. And for people who think that that has nothing to do with school shootings, I think you're wrong. Uh, I think, you know, it's I'd love to see some research on this, but just logically it makes sense. If we are disconnected from each other and even perhaps just as importantly, disconnected from our natural world, we're not going to be we're not going to be able to um, feel the empathy that would prevent us from doing something really stupid and horrific. So I I think that's part of it. And, uh, you, you know, I saw I saw a story just today, actually, about residents of a nursing home. I can't remember where in the U.S. it was. Residents of a nursing home who were taking care of baby kittens. You know, people connecting with life. I know of a program in one of the prisons here in Iowa where inmates uh, have um, responsibilities for managing, for, for caring for dogs. How many programs can you think of, school programs, that try to connect kids with gardening, with nature, with um, understanding plants, understanding birds? You know, these kinds of connections are not just important because, uh, you know, they're of interest to kids, but because they, they, they connect us with life. And when we're disconnected with, from life, whether it's other humans or with nature, then we, we tend, we, then, 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 then we tend to become very cynical, very withdrawn. And when you couple that with the, the violence on, um, in, in, in media, on TV, on, on video games, on our phones, on our computer screens, yeah, it's not just about guns. That said, doing something about guns is the most important thing we can do. We have to address these other issues, but let's start with that. And, and we know, I mean, it's pretty clear right now, the reason we're not addressing the gun crisis or the, 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 the crisis of gun violence is because of very, very powerful interest groups that don't want to see any change. Uh, that's the bottom line. Again, of course, they, you know, they convince enough people that uh, any effort to regulate guns or any aspect of gun laws uh, is an attack on the, the Second Amendment. And that's just, um, that's just silly. <laughs> But unfortunately, it has a lot, of, a lot of sway. Possibly, in addition to the student mobilization leading up to March 24, and uh, the, the, the legislative momentum that might come out of that, that, that we're already seeing, that might build to the point where we might see um, some action against military-style assault weapons, where we might see some action on, on, um, on registration issues, on, uh, on waiting periods. Um, you know, we, 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 in addition to what we might see come out of that or might see leading up to the action, to the um, rallies on the 24th, the um, number of corporations in America that are pushing hard against the NRA is unprecedented. We've never seen this kind of action before. We've got um, Dick's Sporting Goods that uh, will no longer carry assault weapons. And um, also Walmart and Krieger's Fred Meyer. They've all raised the minimum age for purchasing guns to 21 this, just this past week. Now, that's a small step, but it's significant. And again, Dix took the additional step of just banning the sale of assault-style you know, rifles completely. Now, there's, um, there's pressure on Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. Uh, you know, they're also being pushed by a lot of people to take similar steps on the sale of assault weapons and the, uh, the age limit. 
So, um, of course, there's there's a lot of um, encouragement for them to do it. But, of course, there's a lot of pushback. And uh, in terms of pushback, I guess nobody probably got it as much as Delta. Uh, Delta decided to discontinue its, um, its uh, discount to members of the NRA. I had no idea that Delta even offered discount to members of certain organizations. Uh, that, <laughs> that surprised me. Um, and apparently it's a discount that was pretty much in name only because 13 people have taken advantage of the NRA discount. Now, um, what, what, what Delta, the pushback against Delta, again, headquartered in Atlanta, and the um, again, Atlanta, Georgia being a state very much you know controlled by uh, the Republican Party and the Republican Party being a pretty much a wholly owned subsidiary of the NRA, the uh, the uh, the Georgia legislature pushed back against Delta by eliminating a jet fuel tax break that would have um, meant uh, a forty forty million dollar windfall for Delta, and I love what the CEO of Delta Airlines had to say. Ed Bastian is his name. The CEO of Delta says, quote, our decision, this is again our decision to discontinue the NRA discount, our decision was not made for economic gain and our values are not for sale. That's brilliant. I'd love to hear more corporate CEOs or for that matter more politicians or for that matter anybody say something like that. That's 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 really cool. Uh, I hope he means it. <laughs> and I, I think, you know, yeah, there will be pushback. Well, I, obviously this this is the first piece of pushback. A $40 million tax break killed. I'm honestly, in the bigger scheme of things, I don't like those kind of tax breaks. And so um, <laughs> I, I I personally am glad to see them not giving that out for, for just a just a, a purely good government uh, me reason. But but uh, I commend I commend Delta for making this call. And I don't know. It's hard to keep up with the, all this that's happening. But maybe some other uh, airlines are thinking of following suit. I don't know. But the other uh, the other business I'd like to call out is uh, REI. That's a, a recreational, what's it stand for again? Recreational Equipment Incorporated. Uh, REI is um, known for having cutting-edge outdoor camping, skiing equipment. Uh, I've, I've gotten stuff there before. Uh, they are, um, they're cutting, they, they don't sell guns. But they're cutting off one of their, their key suppliers. Um, this um, they're they're saying no to Vista Outdoor, because Vista Outdoor um, is uh, they supply several brands of um, of gear that REI sells, and um, Vista is located in Westfield, Mass, and uh, their Savage Arms brand of assault weapons. Uh, you know, is still available, and so um, our REI is saying, no, we're not going to sell. If you're going to, if you're going to continue to sell assault weapons, we're not going to have a, a relationship with you. So, we'll see where that goes. Um, LL Bean also said it would raise the minimum age to buy a gun or ammunition to 21. So, the pressure is on, and it's important if you if you like what a company has done, it's important to thank them, to pay to patronize them, to um, Make sure that they know that in the end, their um, their statement, their pushback against the NRA, their push for something reasonable in terms of um, action on gun violence, they've got to know that's appreciated, not just uh, philosophically, but 
Charles Goldman and I discussed the federal tax bill. Well, the flip side of that, of course, is its impact on not just social programs and other uh, areas of government spending that are important to to all of us. The impact on the um, the uh, budget deficits and the uh, federal debt is unprecedented. The um, the uh, Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. This is a nonpartisan group of um, a lot of them are you know former former uh, public officials. It's a it's a committee that um, that takes an honest look at spending and income, and it points out that given the um, given the actions being taken this year by the U.S. Congress and especially the tax bill. We're going to see um, we're going to see uh, deficits and debts that are the like like nothing we've seen since World War II. Now, in World War II, of course, in order to to um, prepare the country and the economy for uh, that massive undertaking, yeah, there was a lot of deficit spending. But what we're seeing now is like nothing we've seen ever before. And uh, Maya McGinnis of the um, she's the uh, president of the uh, Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. She says that, uh, quote, this is really perhaps the most fiscally irresponsible period of recent history. There is no economic reason to borrow. There's not fiscal justification for borrowing. And again, um, the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the trillion dollar deficits that we had seen were, th- there was a projection that they would come back. And again, look look at uh, you know again under in in you know under Obama <laughs> again you can't credit Obama but you can say okay well uh, something was done responsibly uh, the um, the federal budget deficit was at 665 billion in 2017 that's going to climb to 1.1 trillion in 2019 and we'll hit 1.7 trillion by 2028 you know this is uh, this is unsustainable. This is insane. You can't operate like that. And yet, I mean, it's all right. Six hundred and sixty-five billion is bad enough. And then you're going to increase that to one point seven trillion. You know, I mean, it's it's not workable. I understand why it happened for World War II. This is not the, well. If you could, if you could say, I could, I could say there's a crisis that needs to be addressed with similar urgency, and that's climate change. But this is not about climate change. This is about, you know, special interests. This is about a tax cut that rewards the president's uh, pals. And I think from a congressional point of view, uh, Republicans are hoping it gives them an edge in the uh, 2018 midterm elections. We'll see. At any rate, the bottom line is it is so fiscally irresponsible. Free and easy. Support for the Fallon Forum is provided by The Fighting Burrito, located at 117 Welch Avenue in Ames, Iowa. The Fighting Burrito offers a varied menu with vegetarian options as well as the option to build your own burrito. More information can be found at www.fightingburrito.com. That's www.fightingburrito.com. Support provided by Gateway Market. Gateway Market offers a unique selection of local, organic, and eco-friendly items. Get more information at gatewaymarket.com. Underwriting provided by Hawk Restaurant, located at East 5th and Walnut. Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. More information can be found at hawktable.com. 
That's hoqtable.com.